The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us, our services are Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We would love for you to be our guests. We hope you consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting the donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Hey, good morning, ACF Church. How you guys doing? Welcome to ACF. I'm glad that you're here. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. Happy Mother's Day, mamas. Let's give the mamas a hand, all right? Thanks for coming today. We are, uh, we're just excited to have you here. Uh, we are in the middle of a series called Blind Spots, and we're talking about our identities. Who are we? That's the question that we want to answer. And we're walking through this book written by a guy named Paul uh, to this early church uh, of young new believers who are just kind of trying to find themselves to figure out who they are. And so it's been a good conversation so far about who are we and then how do we respond to Jesus and what does it mean to relate to others and relate to God. But before we get into it too much, uh, it is Mother's Day. And so I want to honor some mamas. I've got two mamas in my life that I need to honor today. And so uh, the first is this mama. And uh, we'll get her up. That's my mama right there. So this is uh, Cindy Lou Cook. That's my mom. So bring on the Grinch references. But um, anyway, she is a good woman. She has put up with a lot in her life. I just, I'm blessed to have an amazing mom uh, that cared well for me and for my brother. And uh, so I have one brother and we were always at each other's throats, always pushing the limits. And, uh, and she made it. So uh, mamas, there is hope. There's hope for you. If my mom can do it, you can do it as well. And so, and then there I am. I look good, don't I? I like the white tie. Uh, you can't really see uh, any my pants on there. But uh, and then this is. Uh, you can go to the next one. That's my wife Amanda. And uh, so this. She's not pregnant right now, by the way. So I talked to her. I'm like, hey, what picture can I show to everybody on Sunday morning? And she said, anything but a pregnancy picture. So. Um, we can see who won on that one, but come on, guys. Like, they're cute when they're pregnant, aren't they? Come on. So she's, ra- she's raising three beautiful little kids. These are uh, just, they're just, they're just a, such a blessing to us. And so this is Amanda. She's the hardest working uh, woman that I know. She loves our kids well. She puts up with me, and uh, she makes up for all the things I lack. So that's a good woman who's good at all the stuff that you stink at, right, men? So uh, amen. <laughs> amen to that. So that's just awesome. And so we just wanted to honor you ladies that are moms, and uh, so if you have a mom or know a mom, make sure you hug a mom today. Let them know how much you love them. So uh, if you want to open up to the book of Ephesians chapter 2, um, we're going we're gonna to jump into a passage that we actually talked about last week, um, but we're going to dig into this one verse a little bit deeper. Um, last week was good. We talked about racism in church. That was good stuff. Um, I was really tired after Sunday morning. I went home and I just wanted to take a nap because of just all the emotions that come up as we talk about how to treat people who are different than us. Um, and, and so we're specifically talking about our enemies. And I don't know for you if you are a person that has a lot of enemies or maybe you uh, are an enemy to somebody else and uh, you find yourself in this tense relationship with somebody today. But as we talk this morning, I want you to, I want you to envision that person. 
in your mind today, as we talk, that person that you feel like if they would come into the back door of the church right now, you'd probably want to wander your way out to the parking lot and leave. Or that person, if, if you get a text during the service and you saw their name on the text, you'd just get that nausea in the pit of your stomach. You know, I mean, somebody who you see as an enemy. And, and here's what an enemy is. I looked up the word, and it says this. An enemy is a person who feels hatred for, fosters harmful designs against, or engages in antagonistic activities towards another, an adversary or opponent. So it, there's, there's people that we don't enjoy. There are people maybe that you don't like very much. But then there are people who you imagine creative ways of destroying their life, right? Come on, be honest. There's somebody that you have laid in bed at night trying to think of, of creative ways to mess up their world, you know? And you envision them feeling pain and you get this creepy smile on your face where you're, you're just imagining what it would be like to see them experiencing some of the hurt that they've played placed on you. And so we have enemies. I think a lot of people have dealt with this. And, and uh, Paul's going to speak to this tension a little bit in, in verse 14. It says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So Paul's talking about Jesus. He says, Jesus is your peace. He's the prince of peace. He's the man who brings peace. And it says that he brings peace, and he made us both one. You who are different than each other, he made you really similar. You, you are one person, one human race, very similar in a lot of different ways. And he's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. I love that imagery of a wall. Like we have walls that we place up between us and other people. And he says what Jesus does, he breaks down walls. He breaks down division. He connects people, and he, he engages relationships that otherwise wouldn't be engaged and wouldn't be connected. He brings unity where there was disunity. This is what Jesus does for us. And so, who's the person? Who's your enemy? Think of the situation that you find yourself in. Um, you know, I found myself in different stages of life with people who I think I could call my enemies or people that, um, that I would say would make me nauseous if they called me on the phone or if I saw them in the, in the grocery store, I would probably try to avoid them. You know, or if you see them at school, you try to avoid them. And uh, I've, I've had people like that in my life. Uh, also in ministry, here's what, one thing I want to say. If you follow Jesus enough, you're going to make some enemies, Right? If you really follow Jesus, if you become like Jesus, um, you're going to do what Jesus did, which Jesus made some enemies, didn't he? I mean, to the point that they crucified him, Jesus made enemies. And, and so I don't know who your enemies are. Um, I've got friends who have a lot of enemies, people who are in ministry, people who uh, have had other people blog about them and spend money even to try to destroy their reputation. Um, and these, even as a church, as ACF Church has done ministry over the years, we've had a few people act as enemies towards us uh, because we're stepping out and doing some things that we feel called to do. Uh, a few years ago, we did a series and we sent out this mailer to the entire community. Probably uh, 15,000 people got this little card in the mail. And the series was called, I Think Sex is Blank. Right? Which brings up all kinds of questions and all kinds of thoughts and all kinds of imagery. And so, of course, we kind of knew we might get a little pushback when you send that out to the community. But we showed up on Monday after it went out, and everybody's phones had that blinking red light on them, you know? Like somebody's going to give you an earful. And it was bad. We got a lot of terrible voicemails. Um, you know, I started just dreading even coming into work. So I'm like, who is it going to be today that's going to call and chew us out for talking about this topic? You know, but we felt called to do it. We felt like, you know, sex is 
is a very difficult topic, and uh, a lot of people are dealing with, uh, with wreckage and with pain and with struggle in this area of their life. So what better place in the church to talk about that, right? Amen, right? Come on. And, and so uh, we did it, and later on that week, I showed up to church and um, when I went to the office door, and in front of the office door, somebody had torn up one of the invitations into little bitty pieces, like a hundred little bitty pieces, and threw them at the door of the office building. And I was like, now that's commitment, right? That is commitment to a cause. They, they had to get in their car, drive across town, wherever they live, come to the church. Maybe you're here today. I don't know. But that's commitment. I mean, I commend you for commitment. But, but literally, I mean, that's frustration and anger to the point that you throw that down at the office door. And I wanted to tape it all back together and put it back in the mail to them because it had their address and their name still on the backside of it. But I had to resist that impulse. But... That's just, I'm just telling you who I am. Um, <laughs> being honest here. So, but that's hard. That's hard when somebody is attacking you, especially when you think you're doing the right thing, right? Isn't that the worst? It's one thing if you know you messed up and somebody's your enemy. It's another thing if you feel like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and people are criticizing you. People are um, making your life more difficult. And so we're going to talk a little bit about a story of a man who had this very problem. A man who had a lot of enemies and and didn't really know what to do with all of his anger and his frustration. And uh, so let's pray and we're going to get into that. Jesus, thank you for your word to us today. Thank you for this place that we can come in together and we can hear your word. And um, man, there's a lot that we could be talking about today, God. There's a lot of places that we could be today, but here we are. And so, God, I, I ask that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that we could be fully present, God, that we could hear from you, the, the one true living God, and we'd be transformed by your word. God, so we ask that you change us, that you'd illuminate your truth to us, and God, that we could all walk out of here different, uh, loving each other better and uh, loving you more. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want you to open up to the book of Judges, chapter 15, Judges 15. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. That's no problem. Or you can download the ACF Church app on your iPhone or Android and follow along there. But Judges 15, we're going to talk about a guy named Samson. Now, one thing we know about Samson, two things. Most people think of, they think of strength and hair. Because the guy was really strong, and we read that like his, his power came from his long hair. It came ultimately from God, but when, he, when they shaved his hair off, he lost his strength. And so it's this really interesting story we find in Scripture. But one thing we know about Samson is that he has an anger problem. Like He has some real anger issues. He's, he's got the call of God on his life, and he's got all kinds of abilities, and he's a strong man. But one thing we know about people who are, are strong and have abilities and have talents, if this is you today, you have the potential to do a lot of good. You have the potential to be used by God and for your abilities to be multiplied to help people. You also have a lot of potential to do a lot of damage, right? Uh, People who are very talented, have a lot of skills and a lot of strength, can do a lot of damage in people's lives. This was Samson. And so let's start off the story and launch right into it. Verse 1 says, After some days he's been away, uh, at the time of weed harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. I just got to stop there. That's awesome, right? So, man, I don't know what you got your wife for Mother's Day, but young goat, apparently, is is like where Samson went. I have no idea. I didn't look it up. I don't know what it meant. I guess it was just kind of a peace offering. I bring you a goat. So, and, And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber, but her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. 
Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. So we launch right into like an episode of Game of Thrones. I mean, it just gets insane. All of a sudden, craziness. He shows up to the father-in-law's house. He's got a goat, which, I don't know, maybe it was his first mistake. Uh, flowers, something, Samson, but not a goat. And he shows up, and he meets the father-in-law. He's like, oh, you again. Um, yeah, I thought you hated my daughter. I gave her away. So awkward moment with the father-in-law, obviously. Um, note to self, men, make sure your father-in-law knows you love their daughter, or they may give her away to your best friend, which is what happened right here. The father-in-law is like, hey, you didn't act like you love my daughter, so I just gave her away to your companion. Hope you don't mind. Um, difficult situation. Verse 3, and Samson said to them, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do to them harm. I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines. So what he's speaking about is her family. He's like, oh, you have no idea what I'm going to do to your family for this. I mean, you have, you have messed me up. And he says this interesting phrase, I shall be innocent. What's going on in Samson's mind has maybe gone on in your mind before where something has been done to you. And you think, I know what I'm going to do, and I'm going to be innocent in what I do. Literally, I am justified to do what's coming next. And you had it coming to you. Have you ever said those words? Or maybe when you were a kid, you said this a lot. He started it, right? She started it. You know, like, he hit me first. Was, the, was how it went in my house. Like, he hit me first, so I hit him back harder, which is how the game goes, right? They hit you a little bit, you hit them harder because you have to win. And so Samson is like, guess what? It's coming on you. And it says in verse 4, so Samson, let's just get stranger and stranger. You can't make this stuff up. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches, and he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain, the standing grain, as well as the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son of law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her with her father with fire. And Samson said to them, If this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. And after that, I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. And he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Etam. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? They said, We have come up to bind Samson, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. There you go. There it is. What they did to me, I did back to them. And they said to him, we have come down to bind you, that we may, we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, no, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and he put his hand and took it, and with it he struck 1,000 men. And Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey have I struck down a 1,000 men. 
So this is when you open the Bible and you stop and you say, what just happened, right? It just got crazy. We start off guy with a goat, right? Guy with a goat at the father-in-law's house, showing back up, trying to make things right with the wife, and it just gets crazier and crazier. Then, you know, so like, so then he finds out his wife's been, been taken away from him, and he gets really frustrated, starts to make a plan to destroy her family, and this is how you know you, you're like a rageaholic, <laughs> is when like, when you get upset, you just look around you in your immediate vicinity and try to figure out what you can throw, right? Like, what, what do I do in this moment? I'm just freaking out. Some of you have thrown some weird things, right? It's just whatever's, I don't know, it's a coffee cup, or it's a shoe, or it's a blanket, or it's a pillow, or you're like, you've done some crazy things in a moment of frustration and rage when somebody treated you poorly, and you felt justified in your anger. For him, what do I have? Foxes and fire, right? I got some foxes. I got some fire. I know just what I'm going to do. I'm going to burn down the family business, which I'm like, couldn't you have just like lit it on? Anyway, like, anyway, he wanted to send the foxes to light the fires, which burned down the family business. Ultimately, they ended up killing his wife and his mother, his father-in-law. You know, then he ends up killing a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey, which is crazy. Just imagine, imagine this scene, this war scene with this man with the bone of a donkey striking down all of these people. And I just, I was thinking about, like, isn't this how it works? When, when we get into a situation with somebody, and they're our enemy, or they feel like we're their enemy, and we start going down that road of revenge. Isn't this how it works? Where it becomes this back and forth struggle especially when you don't have self-control enough to be the one that stops. So I was thinking about it. It's kind of like this. Anybody like ping pong? Any ping pong players in the room? Nobody plays ping pong anymore? Seriously? We've got a few of you. All right. <laughs> Come on. Play some ping pong. Um, so I am not good at ping pong. It's not my game. But I was thinking about it like this. Let's see if I can do it. So ping pong looks like this. And I would say that revenge is like relational ping pong. So it starts off with like he hit me. So I'm going to hit him harder. Then he's going to hit me back. And then I'm going to hit him harder back, right? Or she said something about me. So I'm going to say something worse about her. And then she's going to be really upset with me. And then she's going to steal my boyfriend, right? And it's going to get, like, really awkward in the relationship. And it just gets worse and worse and worse until somebody says, we need to put down the paddle. Somebody's got to stop this. At some point, this needs to end. Have you ever sought out revenge against somebody? Just be honest. Have you ever done it? Have you ever made a plan and actually executed the plan to seek out revenge on somebody to make them feel just a little bit of what you feel? And in the moment as you're planning it and as you're doing it, you feel completely justified in what you're doing, right? I mean, you just have fire in your eyes. I've known people that literally black out when they are in a, in a, in a place of rage. They don't even know what's going on anymore because they're so upset. They feel so angry and so justified in their response. I remember as a kid growing up, I used to spend the summers in Maine at our family farm. And uh, we, we were all hanging out. I had my family and my uncles and my aunts were hanging out in, in, in the farmhouse. And it was a winter day, so there was a fire going. And my uncle had been giving me a hard time all day long. Like, do you know that family member that just knows how to push your buttons? That one that knows exactly what to say and how to, how to make you feel insignificant. And anyway, I had it all coming to me. 
I, I deserved everything that I got. Don't get me wrong. I am not innocent of this. But I had been pushing him. He'd been pushing me. It had been getting worse and worse all day long, just picking at each other in little ways. So he bends down to put a log in the fire. And my uncle's kind of a bigger guy. And when he bends over, let's just say like a little bit of his posterior was revealed, right? Because that's how it works. And so this, this fleshy part on the back uh, you know, of his hip was revealed here. And I just happened to be sitting there in a chair by the fire with a fly swatter in my hand. Just by pure luck. And so I'm just thinking like this is God's will for my life right here. I mean, this, these things don't just happen. Everything happens for a reason, right? And so I'm holding on this fly swatter. He's revealing a little bit of his backside. And, and I just can't help myself, right? So I rear back and I, I just get like a bullseye right on that little fleshy part. And he jumps up in the air and he grabs me. And my mom comes running in just in time to see him pinning me up against the wall. And man, he's going to rip my arms off, right? I'm just a little guy. So my mom runs in. She grabs my uncle. She's like got him in a headlock. My grandfather runs in and he's like splitting the, this total Jerry Springer stuff in my house. Just craziness. And I'm like, I'm out of here, right? So I'm trying to leave. And she's like, he would never do anything to you. Why would you do that to my little boy? Like such a good mom, right? He's so innocent. And I'm just, oh, man. And so I just remember causing this wreckage. And we had like a big family meeting with like my grandfather mediating. And I'm just trying to get out of there. And she's like sure that I'm innocent of all of this, man. I fooled my mother so well. So anyway, this was revenge, right? And I felt so justified. It still kind of feels good, I'll be honest. Like, in that moment, I'm like, that was it. That's what it's all about. And now that's, that's a pretty minor thing. But we've done some major things, haven't we? Like, like, we can really damage other people. And some of you have been pretty damaged by somebody who wants to seek out revenge. Now, I think there's a couple different kinds of revenge. The first kind I'll call this active revenge. Some of you have participated in active revenge. Now, active revenge is when you've made a plan or you're thinking in your heads, I would like to seek out revenge, and you are actively pursuing ways to make their life miserable. Actively looking for ways to pay them back, blow for blow, what they did to you. Now, it may start off seemingly like a little innocent, you know, where you, you, start, you start talking about other people's business, and it's shrouded as a prayer request, right? You know, this person did something to you, and you're like, oh, remember Suzanne? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were hanging out the other night. She had like six glasses of wine. And I'm telling you what, like at six, she was crazy. And so you start talking about these people. And some of you are masters at this. And you have a way of talking about somebody that will shape somebody else's perspective of them and make you look like you're not even gossiping, right? Like you're just trying to help out, you know, oh, just pray for her. Pray for the alcoholic, right? Just pray for her. And, and, and in the end, the person that, that you were talking to, they walk away with a skewed perspective of this person, right? Sometimes you can be just, like, we can figure out ways of doing that. So it doesn't make us look bad. It just makes them look bad. There's also another thing called slander. If you've ever participated in this act, slander is like taking gossip to another level. Slander is when we will literally say anything, make up things. It doesn't matter if it's true, a little bit true, um, or not true at all, as long as it makes them look bad. Our whole goal is to destroy that person's reputation, to make them feel a little bit of the pain that we feel. This is just active revenge, trying to get back at them. And it's, what happens is like, this is when in our heart, we feel justified to be judge, jury, executioner for this person because they did something just that bad. 
or they're currently doing something just that bad. And so we begin to play a game of ping pong, right? We're going to launch a ball in their direction, and let's just see who brings it back. And the, the interesting thing about ping pong is it takes two people to play, doesn't it? Unless you were like me when you grew, you grew up, you didn't have any friends, so you tipped up the table, right? And you played by yourself just back and forth. But it, it takes two people to play ping pong. Somebody has to stop it at some point. That's active, active revenge. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. I love that proverb because if good sense makes one slow to anger, then who is somebody if they're quick to anger? Somebody lacking sense, right? Somebody lacking sense and self-control and wisdom. And I know that when I launch into anger too quickly, when I'm not slow to anger, I am lacking self-control. And then it says it's his glory to overlook an offense. Is that how you feel? Like when somebody messes you up and they do something in your life that ruins you or hurts you and you let it go, do you feel glorified in that moment? Because I feel like I'm dying when I do that. But he's saying like there's a glory for those who are willing to overlook an offense. The second kind of revenge I would call passive revenge. Now, active revenge is one thing. We've maybe all done it at some point in our lives where we've actively pursued something to try to hurt somebody else. Like she stole, um, like she stole my boyfriend. I'm going to go steal her old boyfriend. You know, like, you know, my, my boss is, is messing me up here and so I'm going to make his life miserable. Like whatever it is that you find yourself doing, passive revenge is a little hard to spot sometimes. Even in our own hearts, we don't even realize that we're doing it sometimes. Passive revenge is kind of like, you know there's that friend that you used to invite to everything and you just kind of stopped calling them, right? Like they said that thing, they did that thing, and so you, 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 you leave them off the text stream. Oops. And people are starting to ask you like, hey, whatever happened to Bill? We used to go hunting all the time. Oh, I don't know, he's busy, right? You know what happened, right? He did something. He didn't bring back your lawnmower. You hate him now. Right? And so, like, now Bill is my, my mortal enemy, and now we don't, we don't hunt together until he figures out that he messed me up, right? He didn't get back my, my tool or my lawn, whatever it is that, that caused you to feel this way. So you're just kind of leaving them out a little bit or putting up a wall. Passive revenge. It's kind of like this. I'd say it's like turning a blind eye to something. So um, maybe there's a need, and this person, you used to be the first one to help them out. Oh, you're moving? I'll be right over. You know, oh, you guys are like doing some work in the basement. I'll be right over. You know, oh, your family needs something. I'll be right over. We're here to help. You guys are sick. I'll bring over a meal. You know, you're serving them. Well, now what you do is you just act like you never even heard it, right? You you got on your phone and you're like, how do I turn off the stupid little bubbles that that, that let me know or the, the red respond thing on the text so I don't have to be accountable when they text me and ask me to come over and help? Come on, who's done it? Be honest. You've shut off the red receipt so that you don't have to feel accountable for the text, right? Never saw it. I don't know what you're talking about. This is what we do. This is passive revenge. We're just kind of withholding ourselves from the relationship. Or maybe it's just, it's emotionally. So they said something that hurts you. Now when you talk with them, you're not present anymore. You don't really care to ask them about the kids. You don't really care to talk to them anymore. You just sort of respond in the moment, but you've got a problem. And so there's a wall that you've put up to protect your heart and in, in some ways to make them feel bad for what they've done. And, and, and I know that, I know that that's, that's the easiest thing to do, but Jesus, he talks to us about this a little bit. Matthew chapter 5. 
This is where I want you to turn. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Jesus talks about revenge. He talks about dealing with our enemies. And he says some of the most powerful, shocking words that these people had ever heard. Like when Jesus says what he's going to say, the eyebrows would have been raised. You would have heard a pin drop in the room. He says, you have heard, in verse 43, that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Literally, they had been taught this. Like from a young age, this, this is what they were taught. Love your neighbor, your neighbor being somebody who you like, somebody who likes you, somebody who helps you, your family member, but hate those who treat you as an enemy. This had been taught from a really young age. It's kind of this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Have you heard that before? Or maybe you've said that before to justify your righteous anger, right? I mean, I'm justifying what I did. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Bible says that. Here's the thing. The Pharisees of Jesus' day had twisted what that actually meant. The whole idea of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, the intention there was to describe that the punishment needs to always fit the crime. That was what was being said there. In, this, in the judicial system, the punishment always needs to fit the crime. If somebody does something small, the, the, the punishment is similarly small. If somebody kills somebody, well, then the punishment is going to be very large for killing somebody. And so what it was trying to intend is that an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, punishment fits the crime. Instead, what the Pharisees had twisted it to mean was that you are justified in your revenge. You are justified to do to them what they did to do. Uh, If they punch you, punch them back, right? They steal your dog, you steal their dog. They mess with your family, you mess with their family. You know, they, they, they do anything to you, you do it back to them. You're justified in it. Verse 44 says, but I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's shocking. You would have heard a pin drop. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Why does this matter to Jesus? Like, why is this such a big deal? Why, why does he want them to pray? I just, let's just be honest. Like, have, have you ever thought, like, what's that really going to do, Jesus? Like, why would I pray for them? Like, how is that going to change anything in this terrible, broken situation? Here's the thing about prayer. Like, when you're unable to pray for somebody, because as I say that, like, Jesus says, pray for the person that persecutes you. Some of you are like, ain't no way. No, not a chance. I could never pray for that person. Oh, I'll pray something for that person. That's what you're thinking. Oh, I'll pray. God, bring your, your power and your judgment on this. Like, oh, I'll pray for that person. That's not what Jesus is saying. Pray for the person that's persecuted. When you can't pray for that person, it's almost like a passive way of hoping for them to be judged by God, hoping for the worst in their life. Like, think about it. When you can't pray for somebody, It's you passively allowing them to continue on in their situation without your intentional covering of God, without you asking God, would you intervene? Would you help them? Would you? And so like as we watched in this video, as Amber was like, I don't know, these people broke into my store and I just started praying for them. I was like, I don't even need to preach Sunday. You just nailed it. That's my whole sermon. It was just coming from her heart. Like, you know, she's she's been offended. She's been hurt. But at the same time, to know like she says, I don't know who these people are. Maybe they're going through some terrible things. Maybe maybe they don't really know who they were intended to be, like who God intended them to be. And so I'm going to pray that they find who God intended them to be. That's hard, right? This is a lot easier to say than it is to do. I totally get that. I want you to write a few things down as we walk through this. The first is this, that prayer 
might be your first step towards forgiveness. Prayer might be your first step towards forgiveness. Now, when I say forgiveness of the person that you have in your mind as your enemy, I just want to acknowledge something, that in this room, uh, across this room are different situations. When I talk about an enemy, some of you are like, oh yeah, I've got, you know, I've got a teacher that keeps giving me bad grades and I deserve a better grade. And so that teacher is kind of my enemy. And they're kind of out to get me and I don't know why they don't like me. And so that's valid. Like that's hard to deal with and I get that. At the same time, there's people in this room and you've been abused and you've been wounded and you've been treated terribly and you've gone through some wreckage in your life. So when I bring up the idea of forgiving your enemy, you just kind of want to throw up a little bit, right? I mean, you don't even want to think about it. Praying for that person, forgiving that person. Here's what you need to know, is that forgiving isn't the same as condoning. Do you know that? Like, forgiving isn't the same as approval. Forgiving isn't even the same as reconciling. Now, now, I want to talk about this for a second because I feel like in the church, there's, there's a tendency to, to kind, of, kind of skip right over this and say, well, just forgive those who have hurt you and, you know, move back into a relationship with them and just make it all better and it's all butterflies and unicorns because you're a Christian and it's all good. But at the same time, I want to empower you and encourage you that, that you can forgive somebody and still draw boundaries in your life. So I want to encourage that, and, and with good, wise counsel, find people that love Jesus, find people that love you, that will give you sound, biblical counsel, but when you're dealing with somebody who's damaging, and who is toxic, and who is terrible, and abusive, I want you to know you can forgive them on the other side of a restraining order, right? Come on, amen. You can do that. You can draw space between you and other people, and, and still forgive them, because you need to know that forgiving isn't letting them go, it's letting you go. It's not letting them go. Like, like they will be dealt with. God will deal with it. Justice is God's. But it's letting you go because you carry the weight of that unforgiveness in your heart and it's like acid in your soul, you guys. I've lived with it before. And it tears apart relationships. Forgiving is not condoning. It's not forgetting. It's not reconciling. Here's what it's doing. To pray for somebody in that moment to be able to pray for somebody who's your enemy, what you're doing is you're hoping better things for that person. And I would say this, you haven't forgiven somebody until you can hope better things for that person. Until you can hope good things. If you're hoping terrible things, if you're still trying to come up with ways to destroy their life, you maybe haven't forgiven them. Just think about it. If every time you see them, you're just like, I hope they run into a cliff, it's just like, I probably haven't let it go. So don't convince yourself that it's cool, that you're okay. Don't look them in the eye and be like, yeah, we're good, when you're just not good. Deal with the reality that there is probably unforgiveness, and then work on praying for them so that you can wish them the best. So you can actually let this go. Now, we've talked through this whole series about our identities in Christ, and as believers, here's what happens. You are given a new identity. Like, you were identified by your sin, by your mistakes, by your striving, trying to be good enough, trying to, trying to get God to, to be on your side. You couldn't do it. So Jesus comes because of Christ. Now you're given a new identity. And the Bible says the old is gone, the new has come. The old you is dead. The new you is alive. And now you're in Christ and identified by him alone. Now, somebody here is like, that's awesome. That's what I wanted at church this morning, right? Give me more of that, Brian, because I messed up big time this week. 
So I just need Pastor Brian to tell me, like, you're not your sin, you're not your mistakes, you're not that person anymore, you are in Christ. So some of you are like, that's awesome. My question is, would you give that same courtesy to the person who hurt you? Could you look at somebody who is in Christ, who is a believer in Jesus, and even somebody who is not in Christ, like, we don't know where these crooks were from, like, what their background was. But can you look at somebody and hope better things for them? And if somebody's a believer, maybe it's your wife, maybe it's a friend, you have to look at them and say, you are no longer your sin. Like, if you want that courtesy, if you're like, yep, give me grace, I love grace, give me forgiveness, but you can't give it to somebody else, then I don't know if you've really received grace. I don't know if you've really owned what it means to be completely forgiven. Number two, prayer makes God the judge. You ever want to be the judge? You want to be the one that tells them that they're wrong, tells them that, that they have no future, that they, uh, they cannot be repaired or redeemed from this broken situation? Revenge is kind of like us saying, I'm going to teach them a lesson. I'm going to be, like I said, the judge, jury, executioner. I'm going to be the one that judges. But when you pray, you go to God. Prayer is the act of submitting our will to God's will. When you go to God in prayer, it's you communicating with the creator over all things. And the intention is to go to God, speak to him, hear from him, and acknowledge him as Lord over all the earth, even your broken situation. So when you pray, it makes God the judge. It, it places God back on the throne in your life. It places God into a position of authority where you're like, okay, God, I can't fix this, I can't make it better, and I can't even, you can't even punish that person to the point that it makes you feel better. Because seriously, every time you've walked in out with revenge, every time you've, you've uh, sought out to hurt somebody, have you gotten to the other side of that and been like, I feel great, right? I feel so good about how I just messed up that person's life, made it all better. It never works, does it? God needs to be the judge Go back to Matthew 5. It says, so that, when, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. We need to pray. And, and then we're going to be sons of our God, our Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. What Jesus is telling them is that the God that we worship, he gives blessing and, and he even shows love and compassion to people who hate him. People who are just and unjust. People who are evil and people who are good. So here's what that means. You might be here today and you're not a believer in Jesus. And I'm glad that you're here. If you're not a Christian, I'm so glad that you're here and you're hanging out with us. And, and, and just because you're not a Christian doesn't mean you won't actually experience good things in your life. Like you can be, you can curse God. You can leave here and be like, I don't know what I was thinking going to ACF Church on Sunday morning. Like, I don't know why I went, I went, but this is stupid. Like, I want nothing to do with this. And you can go home, and you, you can wake up tomorrow morning, and the sun will probably come up on you. Like, maybe in Alaska. But the sun will come up, right? And, and, and you can probably go to work and have a decent job. And, and you can probably even, like, have food in your mouth when he talks about the rain falling on the just and the unjust. He's talking about how, like, rain was how they grew crops, how they had food. And so you can be evil and hate God and, and like, want nothing to do with him and hate Christians and even, like, be an enemy to the church. And you can still have good things in your life. That's the God that we, we serve. God loves with impartiality. We love with partiality. We determine who we love based on how we feel about them. 
based on how they make us feel. But God, it says he pours grace out. Like what, what, uh, what, what most scholars call this is common grace. There's common grace in the just and the unjust. There's still beauty for those who even hate God in this world, which, which blows my mind. Doesn't that blow your mind? That's a loving God. That is a, that is a love that I can't even comprehend beyond my ability and scope to understand. That's, a, that's an unfailing kind of love, isn't it? That's God's love. Number three, I want to close with this. Prayer is a sign of a greater love. When you can pray for somebody, it's a sign that you have a deeper, greater love within you. Verse 46 says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. There's a high bar. So he's saying, hey, all of these people over here who don't even get me, who are enemies of God, you know what they do? They love those who love them. That's what I do. That's easy to do. Everybody loves those who love them. I love it. You know, like, somebody came up to me after the service on Wednesday, and they were like, Brian, your sermon's so good. Like, you nailed it up there. That was awesome. You just did a great job. And I was like, do you want to come over to my house? Like, let's hang out. Maybe we should barbecue together. Let's, let's spend some time together. Because that's what we do, right? Just, like, pour the, the affection and the encouragement. And, and, and people who do that, you just want to be around them, don't you? Of course. You tell me my shoes are awesome? I love you. Let's hang out. As some of you, it's that easy. And he's saying, anybody does that. We all love those who love us, who treat us well, who serve us. But it's a special kind of love that can love somebody and pray for somebody who persecutes you. And then he makes this really shocking statement. He says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Here's what I read in that. Now, you're not going to live a perfect life, right? Right? Come on, somebody nod your head. Yep, not going to do it. Already messed it up on the way to church today. Yep, okay. So you're not going to live a perfect life. But what I think he's trying to do is he's connecting the way that we love to perfection. Because Jesus boils all of the law, all of the requirements down to two things, right? Love God and love people. Like how you love God and how you love people is the way that God's going to determine how he connects with you. And and even Jesus talks about how, like, if you're not willing to forgive your brother, the Heavenly Father will not forgive you, which which is a shocking statement, isn't it? And that's shocking to think about that. And he's like, be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. What he's saying is you need to love your enemies the way that God the Father loves those who are enemies to him. And it's like the way that you love your enemies is going to be the way that God loves you. Think about that. The way that you treat your enemies is going to be the way that God treats you. Now, why is that? Just to punish you? Just to make you feel bad? Here's the thing. I think the way that you treat your enemies reflects your understanding of God's grace for you. Now, that's hard to swallow. I get it. But the more you receive the grace of Jesus, the more grace you're going to have for others. You can sit here and you're like, well, pastor said I need to forgive you. Someone try to forgive you. Try to get over it. And try to just like, you know, have a good conversation with them and just make it better. Now, that might be part of it. But what I'm telling you here today is that if you have a grace giving problem, you have a grace receiving problem. Because the more that you receive grace, the more that you understand the, the cost that was paid for you, 
and how deeply you need God to cover your depravity, the more that you contemplate that and understand that, the more grace you're gonna have for others. So we as a church, I talk a lot about grace. I won't stop talking about grace. And some churches are afraid to talk about grace because they're like, well, people are just gonna walk all over it, right? You tell them God's just gonna like forgive them and they're just gonna go crazy and do whatever they want to do. Here's the thing, if you do that, I don't think you got grace. I think you've, you've settled for a cheaper, distorted version of the grace of Jesus. But when you understand the costly nature of the grace of God, it's going to cause you to overwhelm, be overwhelmed with, with love and with generosity and with care for other people. Why? Because you got that kind of love from God. That's how it works. We're, we're, we're studying through a book as our small group called uh, A Reason for God by Tim Keller. Great book, especially if you struggle with a lot of different doubts. Um, just encourage you to pick that up. But he talks about forgiveness in there. He says this, forgiveness means refusing to make them pay for what they did. However, to refrain from lashing out at someone when you want to do so with all your being is agony. You are absorbing the debt, taking the cost of it completely on yourself instead of taking it out on the other person. It hurts terribly. Many people would say it feels like a kind of death. So what needs to die in you today? Like what emotion, what feeling, like what is it that needs to just be like a little bit of death? Because that's how it feels. Like I said earlier, when you let go, when you let somebody go from that, that pain that they caused you, it feels like something dies on the inside of you. But here's what we know about Jesus is that in his last moments on the cross, remember what he said? His last moments on the cross, he looks up at the sky and says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He forgives. He pleads with his father. He prays to God for forgiveness for all of humanity. And then he dies. He dies. But we know one thing about the crucifixion is that Jesus had to die. Why? So that there could be resurrection, right? So that he could come back to life. That's why he had to die, so that there could be new life, so that he could conquer sin, he could conquer death, he could give us peace, he could give us a new identity. That's why Jesus had to die. So for you tonight, or today, here's what I want to say, is that something probably needs to die inside of you. And, and that person, you, they probably popped up to your mind immediately. That, that unforgiveness in your heart that you're just holding on to with all your might, You're not going to experience resurrection until you feel that death. But when you allow that part of you to let go, when when you allow that part of you to die, that's where new life's going to come from. That's where peace is going to come from. That's where forgiveness is going to come from. You're going to be able to pray for that person. You're going to be able to wish the best for that person. And it's all going to flow from the grace that was poured out on you through Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. God, I just, I confess that I've held on to things. And uh, God, there are people in my life that I don't wish the best for. So it's my prayer today, God, that we could all leave here a little bit lighter. That we could trust you as the judge. God, and that we wouldn't bear that weight today. God, I want to pray for the person in this room today who's seen you as the enemy. God, maybe they've been shaking their fist at you for a long time. God, that maybe 
today is the day that they reach out, that we could be reconciled to you, our creator, that we could trust that even in the brokenness, God, even as you, you've acted in ways and allowed things that, that we don't understand and we, we question you, we question your goodness, even in all of that, God, we come to you and you're willing to reach out to us and receive us today. God, so could we receive you? God, could we walk into your grace? And God, because of the, the, the lavish grace that you poured out on us, God, could we pour that same grace out onto others? God, could we become a people of grace in our community, in our, in our workplaces, in our relationships? God, could we be the ones that put down the, the paddle and stop the games? God, could we deal with our emotions and feelings and then could we walk in freedom? That's my prayer for us today, God. And as we, as we sing, as we worship, could we sing from a place of that, that grace and understanding and freedom? God, could we honor you for how much you've loved us? Could the way we sing and the way that we praise you, God, could it reflect our deep gratitude for your love and your grace? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, love you guys, thanks.